Welcome back to another episode of the Frankfurt Link. I am Mark Payne, the politics and government reporter for Link NKY. I am coming to you live from Frankfurt, Kentucky, where I am covering the 2023 Kentucky General Assembly Legislative Session and bringing you the political news that matters most to Northern Kentucky. The Frankfurt Link is sponsored by Roebling Solutions. Link NKY keeps our community updated on policy and political changes with our boots on the ground reporting. However, it can be overwhelming determining how your organization should respond in an ever-changing political climate. Roebling Solutions, led by Shane Nome, uses a decade of experience and relationships working with all levels of government to help their clients achieve specific policy and political goals. Whether it's state house or courthouse, Roebling Solutions will help you bridge business and policy. On Wednesday, the legislature reconvenes for the last two days of the 2023 session. They adjourned on March 16th for the 10-day veto period, where the governor vetoed multiple bills, including the controversial Senate Bill 150, which will ban gender-affirming care for children. The legislature will spend its last two days overriding any of the governor's vetoes and potentially passing sports betting or medical cannabis legislation. On this week's episode, we talked with Ryan Salzman, a political science professor at Northern Kentucky University and Bellevue City Councilman, about the 2023 session. Legislature convened this year for a 30-day, odd-number year, non-budget session. Typically, these sessions are used to clean up bills for more hectic 60-day budget year sessions, such as last year's 2022. Um, but this year wasn't slow. 120 bills were sent to the governor's desk before the veto period. Um, what are some of the bills you've been keeping an eye on that could have an impact on Kentuckians? Yeah, well, there's been a very wide variety of bills proposed in this legislative session, which isn't very surprising. And probably some of them that I've been keeping an eye on may not be what everybody else is watching. One of them, uh, and and I I don't know that I know the call number offhand, I want to say it was SB4, but I could be wrong, uh, was about decommissioning a coal fired power plants. This was something that Duke Energy was very focused on. And and I think it's just really interesting because in all of the discussions around, um, you know, green energy and um, similar initiatives, it was really interesting that Duke was the one who was in our area, at least in Northern Kentucky, because Duke's our provider, was very concerned about this uh, piece of legislation because, um, you know, keeping a power plant up and running is very, very expensive. And so they wanted to make sure that they had the power to do that. But of course, in Kentucky, the idea of coal is so central. And so this was a, a very, what was most interesting about it to me was that uh, who was kind of opposing it and who was for it. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, it did pass that is limiting the ability to, sh- to shutter the coal fired power plant. I think Duke got some concessions in it, but that was one of those pieces of legislation I was paying attention to. Another was the charter school uh, bill that is, you know, whether or not they would move forward with the constitutional amendment that would uh, enable the funding mechanism that had been uh, uh, kind of uh, rejected by the courts uh, that didn't go anywhere. I don't think that was a big surprise because the, uh, target election date that the constitutional amendment would appear on the ballot is not until 2024. 
So I don't think it was a huge surprise, but nonetheless, you know, kind of indicating how much, um, how eager the legislature was going to be to address that. Um, so those are two things that, that kind of jumped out at me or that I was kind of following because I thought they were interesting pieces of legislation for me and kind of what the overall uh, tenor of the session was going to be. Gotcha. A quick follow-up. So that bill, the constitutional amendment, the school choice bill is House Bill 174. It didn't move much this session, but it did get a committee vote um, in the last days leading up to the veto period. Um, and then the House Speaker, uh, David Osborne, a Republican from Prospect, signed on to that bill, um, potentially giving it some hope, uh, perhaps in the next session, What, as some of those actions were kind of moving towards the end of the um, the period before the veto period. What do you think that that signals? Yeah, I think that they're teeing this up to be what I would call one of the single digit bills. Uh, you know, they hold those, those top 10 kind of like SB one through nine and HB one through nine. They hold those for being very significant legislation. And I would be surprised, especially as you said, with leadership signing on to not see this bill be one of those those top kind of key pieces that are potentially even voted on and dealt with in that first week of the session, which used to be a very dormant time, uh, but in the last probably five-ish years has become a very active time in the legislature. Um, that that it passed out of committee, that leadership signed on is a really good sign for those that are supporting that piece of legislation. And I think the reality is that the funding mechanism question is one that extends beyond charter schools to things like vouchers, um, tax credits and the like. And so there's ways to get people, legislators on board for this legislation, even if they see the charter school issue specifically as being of concern, there's a number of other issues that are uh, going to be implicated by this. Uh, that could go both ways, though, right? When you have multiple issues that are implicated in a single bill, if somebody is against any of those, then they could they could go against the bill. Um, and I think that you know it also starts to beg the question about where is this General Assembly on constitutional amendments in general? Uh, they they had a very bad experience at, uh, at the 2022 election. And so the issues aside, the initiatives aside, that mechanism of sending it to the people uh, is, is still very much um, uh, might be something that they're concerned about as well. So a lot of the minutia around a single piece of legislation, the language in the bill, for instance, when voters are unsure of a piece of legislation that's put before them, their gut is going to say, vote now, vote now, vote now. And so, you know, do they try to turn this in some kind of way where a no vote supports it? I mean, there's a lot of stuff in those details. Um, and I guarantee you that's being worked out right now, but the committee hearing and passing it out favorably and the uh, signing on of leadership uh, is a good sign that this is going to be a front and center piece of legislation in 2024. So there's a lot of legislation that moved, as we mentioned. Um, there's some other key bills kind of moving through. We're seeing some life with uh, cannabis legislation, uh, medical cannabis legislation, as well as sports betting. Um, but in recent weeks, Kentucky has joined um, the nationwide um, culture wars. Um, so 
what was supposed to be a slow session, um, all of a sudden the legislature kind of passed what has been called one of the worst anti-trans bills in the country and Senate Bill 150. Why do you think the push for this legislation is happening now? And where do you think the push for this legislation comes from this session? Well, this is definitely the topic du jour. We've, we've moved on from same-sex marriage. You know, that's not an issue. In fact, saying it and, and listeners hearing me say that right now, huh, I don't think I've heard anybody talk about same-sex marriage in quite a while. It's not to say there aren't some things that are working through the courts still in regards to same-sex marriage, but that issue has seemingly been put to bed, at least for the time, and the uh, the front lines and the culture war are sometimes overlapping, but there's there's two really to me. There's schools, and then there's there's uh, trans transgender legislation, and specifically as it relates to transgender um, uh, issues among youth, and that's where this bill really kind of turns and is is both clarifying in the sense of why the legislature would take it up. You know, they say that well, they're protecting the children. These are, I mean, I, I'm not agreeing with them, but agreeing with the sentiment. These are really, really big decisions that are being made. And when you make really big decisions for a 13-year-old, that could be kind of fundamentally different than a 20-year-old making their own decisions. Um, and so I think that that was a lot of the impetus behind this. And it does get wrapped up in a lot of the school discussion, this perception that, you know, teachers and, and schools in general are creating uh, an environment where, um, you know, certain ideas like being transgender or uh, homosexual or are somehow being pushed upon students and that they would then move to make a decision based on that, that they're not prepared to make because they're children and then also not prepared to make because, you know, maybe the idea is that they've been in some context that's been sort of conditioning them towards that. So there's that overlap and we're, you know, it's kind of this uh, supernova of culture war where these two things are combining. What's uh, you know, I think a lot of the criticism around this bill, and especially as a Kentuckian myself, who's been watching this legislature act uh, over, you know, the last 18 months or 36 months, that's kind of a head scratcher is it's also undermining the ability of parents to make decisions for their children, which seems to be the crux of a lot of the argument around the culture wars in schools is that parents should have more say in what their kids do. Okay. Well, how about parents being able to help their children transition? No, they can't do that. I'm sorry. What did you, I'm, I'm really confused. Do parents have the authority or do they not have the authority? Like which one is it? And that, that, you know, inability for, uh, parents to make decisions for their children um, really is highly questionable. And, and I think that that's probably where, again, a lot of the criticism nationally around this piece of legislation is coming in that um, not that it's contradictory with the other stuff. That's, that's an aside in my own thinking, but just, you know, wh where exactly does that authority lie? But again, you could probably hear in my sort of rambling and piecing these things together that it really is this confluence of, of multiple issues. I think even though the, the school's conditioning uh, the youth in this direction is not highlighted as much in it, but I think that that has to be part of the dynamic because the same people that are advancing a lot of the issues around schools, limiting what teachers can do, the uh, concerns around CRT, these are the same people that are advancing this, this other legislation. So they have, they are related in my opinion. So 
early in the stages of passing that legislation, Republicans um, seemed to be somewhat fractured. There were some Republicans that weren't in favor of the bill um, or the legislation that was initially tucked in the House Bill 470. That language was moved in the Senate Bill 50. Um, but when it came to pass Senate Bill 50, Republicans in both chambers seemed to gather together and, and voted to pass it. Um, we also saw some potential fracturing amongst Republicans um, in the House um, while voting on a bill to ban slot-style gray machines. Um, Northern Kentucky Rep. Stephen Doan voted to table the bill, um, and this kind of took leadership by surprise. This led to Republicans needing the caucus for over three hours before passing the bill the following week. With more liberty-minded candidates in both chambers, do you see the Republicans in the legislature uh, shifting on any key issues? Fracturing is going to be a lot uh, more consistent or a more consistent reality when the ideological and and you know, values way of thinking of things are inconsistent. You know, when you support or oppose, you know, something related to historic racing, and then you turn around and do the opposite for something like gray machines, you're going to start to see, um, you know, people who are being logically consistent. And then those who are being logically or illogically consistent, no, logically inconsistent. Um, and that because of that, you know, it'll look like they're breaking with each other, but you know, they're, they're making decisions in different ways than I think that we would expect them. So to, to draw sort of a corollary, I think that, you know, when we look at the United States, the federal government, we see a lot of logical consistency or more logical consistency in the United States Senate. And some of that has to do with leadership, but some of it has to do with the nature of the position. I think that's somewhat true at the Kentucky State House as well, that there's something about those positions, the way that you're elected, the length of your term that, that sort of attracts people that are going to find their groove, their ideological groove and kind of get into it. And it's really a pride point to be consistent. Um, the house is always going to be uh, much more uh, unpredictable uh, and also more fluid in terms of its membership. And so I think that where we're seeing these things breaking, sometimes that's what it's around is this logical inconsistency. Like I was talking about with the trans bill, well, are parents able to make decisions for their, their kids or are they not like, which is it? Um, we've seen in some States issues being raised that were raised under the, uh, the context of vaccine mandates and are now being applied to abortion and gender. I mean, is it that, if it's a medical decision, I get to choose, or is this really just about what your preferences are, your political preferences are, not really your ideological preferences and finding legislation to support it. So we see that now for the trans issue, I think that there's maybe a, a couple extra layers and there's always going to be lots of layers, but people who are, um, who are potentially going through or are, are transgender individuals, there's a tremendous amount of research, uh, scientific evidence that attaches mental health to a lot of those issues. And I think that some of our Northern Kentucky Republican caucus that voted against uh, the trans legislation are looking at that, that mental health 
piece of this and saying, this is like the worst thing that we could do for these people that are already going through. They're not, you know, they're not choosing to be transgender one. Secondly, they're not choosing this timing because it's just like fun and it's something they want to do. It's, it's because this is who they are. And by rejecting that, rejecting that possibility out of hand, we're potentially setting them up. We know that suicide rates, we know that, um, a lot of that really, really, really bad side of, of mental health, um, accrues to people who are going through things like that at a higher rate. And this is just a bad idea. This is just not something the government should be doing. The whole idea of liberty, this is really part of it, um, that there's major mental health issues. And so there is that. And I think you see that in the fact that it was Representative Dietz, Representative Banta, I believe, voted against it. Uh, Representative Mosier didn't vote, but has in the past come out and, and been skeptical in the least about this kind of legislation. And these are also our, the people who tend to champion the mental health issues, um, and the wellness of our children first and foremost. Um, so again, a lot of this fracturing is, uh, it, you know, it's that there's not the ideological consistency in the Republican party that maybe we've been used to certainly over my lifetime, or if we think back to kind of the Newt Gingrich Republicans of the 1990s, where that was their deal. They got in line. They were ideologically consistent. This was something under the George W. Bush administration. That was a big deal. Organizations like ALEC that have been pushing these, you know, model pieces of legislation. It's, it's all about consistency. It's all about making sure that the bill itself is ready to be taken up in the courts and it's been well-tested and vetted and it aligns with Republican ideology. But now we're seeing that that's not as important anymore. And as long as that is the case, and as long as there is, there are so many Republicans, that's another thing that increases the likelihood of fracturing is just sheer quantity of people that there's so many of them and that that's not as important anymore. That ideological consistency, we're going to see fracturing across all of these, but it doesn't necessarily undermine the ability of the of Republicans, of the Republican majority, not only to get their bills passed, but to even have veto override majorities when the time comes, if they need to override that veto. As we head into the last couple of days of the session uh, this week, what do you, what do you, think is going to pass, um, and then kind of looking a little bit more forward, um, we mentioned the constitutional amendment earlier being a key bill in 2024. What are some other key bills or issues that you see um, heading into next year? Yeah, the sports gambling, sports betting is, I think, a really interesting one here right at the end of the session uh, that I'll be keeping an eye on. Certainly something that uh, I, I think the, uh, uh, the governor would sign if it came to him. Uh, this term, sometimes right at the end of the term, you sort of have a little opening. There's there's a lot of political fatigue that's happened, and so some people aren't paying attention. The the tra you know anti trans legislation has already, which has been by far, I think, the biggest piece of legislation um, that or most controversial, I should say, piece of legislation, especially since charter schools really didn't go anywhere. And, and not that that was a charter school bill, but the bill related to charter schools didn't really go anywhere when it was all said and done. Um, so I'll be looking at that. I'd love to see, you know, see what happens if there's a little flurry at the end for medical cannabis as well. I think that that's another one they know that the governor would sign immediately. So is there an opportunity to kind of boom, 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 pass it through, get it to the governor's desk? It's a pretty big deal if these things go through, but at the same time, they're just 
very, they're kind of exhausted topics rhetorically. Lots of people have talked about them and none of them are really that big a deal. We're not approving casinos in Kentucky. We're not approving recreational marijuana. So we're still going to be on the, on the moderate side when it comes to those policies, if they pass, so they'll get some airtime, but not much. Same thing. If they get rejected, we're used to them not being in place as well. I think that depending on what happens with them during this veto period, that will also be what we're looking at for next session as well. And that goes in general things that got a hearing, um, you know, that's a good sign that they're going to be, uh, front and center in the next legislative session. Um, but also starting to pivot and look at the next legislative session, which is a budget year. We're going to have this ongoing discussion around income tax, the income tax, um, I don't know, diminishment <laughs> pieces of legislation. That's a pretty awkward way to say it, but that, that continued decrease because of course the economy continues to change and revenues will continue to change as well. Will they remain robust? There's an expectation that revenues are going to remain robust because of inflation and because of some other factors, but will that actually be the case? Um, at the first sign of weakening revenues, will that cause this legislation to come into question, this policy to come into question, or will it not be addressed? Or even if there's a significant downturn in revenues, will the supporters of this bill still continue to push it through? I think that that's um, something that'll be interesting to see. Uh, again, the charter school and charter school related pieces of legislation are something that I'll be uh, paying attention to. But there's some other tax policy as well that I think is in question uh, some that I know the Kentucky League of Cities and the Kentucky Association of Counties will be paying close attention to always. Uh, but you're going to have, I think, just some bigger initiatives that have been sat on when you looked at a lot of the uh, the language and the bills that were being proposed. A lot of them didn't take effect uh, in, a, in a timeline that really made you think they were going to be passed in this session. And so we'll be looking towards next session for some of those uh, some of those pieces of legislation. I have no reason to think that things related to CRT, things related to transgender Kentuckians are, are going away with any of this as well. So I think we should assume that those are going to stay pretty front and center, but I don't think that those get that top 10 designation, so to speak, in terms of bill assignment. Gotcha. Well, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. That's it for this week on the Frankfurt Link. I'm Mark Payne, the politics and government reporter for Link NKY. Now that you're up to date on this week's happenings in Frankfurt, head over to RoblingSolutions.com and schedule time to evaluate your organization's lobbying and governmental needs. They're here to help you bridge business and policy as well as bridge Northern Kentucky with Frankfurt.